It's our outfield preview show. We'll go through undervalued picks, talk about platoons, when to not trust projections, and much, much more. Bleed Cubby Blues Sarah Sanchez joins us on a player-centric episode of the Beat the Shift podcast next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. We're just talking the World Baseball Classic teams have been introduced, and that Dominican team is, that's something else. What do you think, Ruven? Yeah, yeah they are just completely stacked. It's like the All-Star. It's like a fantasy team that everyone wants to have. You have there's, there's no weak spots in the lineup. I don't know how any team's going to be able to really compete with them. I'm excited to watch it. That means that spring training is coming just a couple of days at the best time of year indeed. All right. Well, we've got a great show today from Bleed Cubby Blue. We've got Sarah Sanchez. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic guest last time. And you're here to help us go through our outfielders as we have our outfield preview show. And there's a lot of outfielders, so... A lot of players to go through. But before that, a little bit of strategy. And first of all, a little bit about projections here. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, doing ATC, I trust projections. You know, we talk about it all the time. But projections do have a few blind spots. Uh, for you, Sarah, w- what do you think are some blind spots for projections? And when do you think that the human eye or, you know, your manual input can do better than projections? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we were talking about this maybe a week or two ago because I was looking back at some old articles that I had written about the Cubs and their projections and noticed that there was just a really big disconnect between where Nico Horner wound up in 2022 and where people thought he would wind up in 2022. And I, I can't imagine that Nico is the only player that has this set of circumstances. But if you have a very short minor league career and you're you jump in in 2020 with not a great season, it seems like it's pretty easy for a projection system with limited data to miss some of that, right? And so I actually went um, before coming on the show today and I ran a list of the 2022 values that players actually had for their on the auction calculator at Fangraphs and sort of cross-referenced it with where their ADP was to see who is who is still in that sort of like, they already put up a season that had more value than we value them as fantasy players right now. And, and it's a pretty interesting list of names. And I'd be curious to know what you think about some of these names in terms of where their projections were. And if it's a projections miss or if it's an injury miss, I think there's a lot of different things that could account for these differences. But you get guys like Christian Walker, you get guys like Brandon Drury, guys like uh, Nemo, guys like Luis Arias, Tyro Estrada, Josh Rojas, Jake Cronenworth, and Alex Verdugo, in addition to our friends Nico Horner and Stephen Kwan. And I just, I think that there are some players who are not getting the love from projection systems that we think of the, that they can give us in terms of value as fantasy players. You're talking about projections from last year for them? I'm talking about the actual value they put up and where they went in drafts. 
Yeah, I, I mean, some of those players, like Christian Walker, I mean, that was one of our big picks. You know, uh, uh, Luis Arias, I was on him all you know, season, so some of those ATC projections were on. But, yeah, a lot of those, Stephen Kwan was was a mystery, you know, prospect, highly touted. You know, it's funny, uh, Stephen Kwan, he's actually very similar to Nico Horner. Look at his stats and his profile. It's, it's really the same player, and it's amazing how you know, nobody really saw Nico Horner, maybe some prospect experts saw so, uh, Quan, but you're right. The projections missed on them. Yeah, I didn't have your projections in front of me as I was doing this. I was really just looking for guys who were in the top 100 batters um, for 2022 and where they're going in drafts right now. And there's about 100 spots of disconnect between the value these players put up in 2022 and where they're going in 2023. So just something to keep in mind and think about as as we're considering players and what they've done in the past and what it, how it informs where we pick them. Yeah. And, you know, th that COVID year when there was no minors in 2020 really, uh, it A, stunted a lot of the minor league growth. Um, you know, we didn't really get good looks on players and maybe they set them back a year or so. Uh, but in terms of projections, yeah, anyone who really would have made, who would have made their big stride that year in the minors and maybe had a lousy year either before or after that year uh, would be lower on projections uh, 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 after that, right? It, it's uh, it's it's something like that. Uh, but Ruben, what about you? What are some blind spots of projections that you find? Well, first of all, just to touch on what you when you both said, a um, couple of the players who were very high and very high prospects and just didn't pan out. People thought they were going to be great. Jared Kalenic, Joe Adele, those are top prospects that were so hyped up after after covid and going into and right after 2021 and 2022 and they just fell flat on their faces so i so i think prospects obviously is a big section where there's a blind spot but i think foreign players foreign players you have no idea how the japanese league the the, the korean league how they correlate uh, with with playing in the united states i mean uh sarah say a Suzuki, what did you expect coming uh, coming over last year? Did you expect him to be close to an MVP? Did you expect him to be an average player? I mean, what it was so hard to project him. And another guy who's coming this year, Kodai Senga. You have no idea what you're going to get out of him. You have really no clue. There are projections that say he. Uh, there, I saw a projection that he's have a three-five whip. I said projections he's going to have a five whip. It's. I think it's the farm players that are coming in that we th we know that they're going to get opportunity to play. They're definitely going to get opportunity to play, and we have really no real. Um, great projections that correlate to these players. The Seiya Suzuki question is a great one. And I really want to direct people to a Fangraphs community research piece that came out last March before Suzuki came over. It was written by Hiroshi Miyashita. Uh, and it's it's great because what, what Hiroshi did is he looks at the players who came over from Japan. He looks at their penultimate season in NPB their first season in MLB and then their second season in MLB. Because even, I mean, I think we forget this sometimes because Shohei Otani has become like the greatest player on the planet now. He struggled a bit in his first season in the majors too. It's, it, there's an adjustment period, right? There's a, there's a time where you have to get used to a new ball. You have to get used to a new league, used to new ways that pitchers are going to approach you. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting in this data is that if you look at you know, Saya did struggle a bit last year. He had some injury issues, but there were moments where he looked, the talent was so real, right? Like the eye is good. What he chooses to swing at is good. I actually was so frustrated watching Saya uh, last year a couple of times because he would get called strike threes that were not strike threes. It was truly like he was being treated like a rookie when he's not a rookie really like yes he's a rookie in mlb but he's not a rookie as all these seasons of professional baseball 
uh, behind him in Japan. And I am super stoked to see what Seiya does for his second season because I think he's going to take all of that information, all of that data that he gathered from that first season, and he's really going to crank it up to another level um, and, you know, put on quite the display. So um, I'm looking forward to a to a big step forward from Seiya Suzuki, who in Japan was a better pure hitter than Shohei Otani. Well, that's hard to do there. Uh, incredible. How about, um, what are you, I'm curious about your thoughts on uh, Masataka Yoshida. Uh, I mean, the Red Sox certainly paid for him. Uh, they're going to put him as their leadoff batter, so it's sink or swim with him. Curious to hear, do, do you have any thoughts on, on how he's going to perform this coming year? Because the, the projections are actually pretty decent on him. Uh, and it's a very, very possible he's a bargain if he performs. But will he? What are your thoughts? Well, I wonder if Yoshida is going to have the same experience that I was just talking about with Seiya, where his, his initial campaign is a little lackluster, but then he really turns it on in his sophomore season, which is what I'm I'm thinking Seiya will do. Um, but I actually think the Red Sox got quite a steal here. Like you were saying, the projection systems love him. And I, I was listening to um, another podcast. I think it was the Rotowire podcast with James Anderson and Rob Silver earlier this week. And they were saying that, you know, if this were the Rays having signed Yoshida, or if it was the Dodgers, a team that we really believed in their ability to identify prospects and the projection systems lined up the way that they do, we would be calling this a steal for those teams. It'd be like, this, this guy is going to be a great hitter for those teams going forward. I think we're all a little skeptical because the Red Sox have not had that kind of luck, but it's worth recognizing that they, you know, they have a pretty smart team over there in Boston, and they identified this as the guy that they're willing to put their money behind and put it lead off, like you said. And so I would not be surprised to see him struggle a little bit in his first season, but I think the next four years of that deal could look outstanding. Now, Yoshida projected by ATC for $10.50 in a 15-team 5x5 league. His uh, auction equivalent ADP is about $7. So, you know, a nice little profit, of course, but there is risk in that uh, is coming over. So, you know, my risk-adjusted price would be lower. But, uh, small possible uh, bargain there. Uh, interesting, and I guess we'll, we'll see what will come from him. Uh, you know, as far as other blind spots, I think that uh, it's uh, injuries in prior years. A lot of times, you know, when the previous year a player played poorly because of injury but played through it, that's always an example. And if you can spot that, the, in the projections cannot determine that. They just see it as bad play. Uh, and because uh, projections are going a lot based on historical and the previous year is the most weighted, uh, you know, if they detect that, then, you know, you can almost discount that year manually better than the computer program uh, for projections can do it. Um, also, picks, pitch mix changes. If a pitcher is changing his arsenal and shifting on better pitches, that's a big change as well. And the most important thing, I think, is uh, playing time. Uh, you know, the human eye does a much better job in general. Uh, crowdsourcing for playing time is excellent. You know, Fangraphs used to have crowdsource playing time where they would ask everybody, okay, what do you think the number of at-bats are going to be for a certain player? And they would get, you know, hundreds of people submitting ballots as to what they thought. That playing time was actually really good. Uh, Human Eye actually does a really good job uh, as well. All right, want to talk outfielders today, and let's just start with the general thoughts on the player pool. Sarah, what, what do you think uh, the player pool outfield looks like? Has it gotten... Better, worse, thinner, deeper, flatter? How do you see it changing from last year, and what's your overall take on it? You know, I 
based on the drafts that I have done so far this year, I came into this episode fully expecting that I was going to say the outfield pool has gotten so much worse. There's such a big drop off because that's how it feels when you're drafting. You get to about the, you know, 13th, 14th round and you start to see that you're running out of guys that you really trust in those outfield positions. You wish you had taken some people earlier. However, I put my own biases to the test here a little bit. And so I ran um, the auction values, the actual auction values that players put up in 2022. And then I compared it to the steamer auction values for 2023 and the ATC values for 2023. And basically what I came up with is that last year there was a positive value for 93 outfielders. They put up at least one cent of value. It's like the Victor Robles line is where you start getting negative value from your outfielders. By steamer projections, there are 91 of those players for 2023. So remember, there were 93 outfielders who did that in 2022. ATC has 94, and the Bad X has 94. So the player pool is actually projected to be at almost exactly as valuable as it was before. What I think is happening is that there are more players who are projected for $30 of value than there were who put up that last season. And so it feels like there's such a drop off in the top, from the top to the bottom there, when in actuality, the same number of players are putting up positive value. We just see a drop from those $30 projections down into the 20s and 10s. And it feels a lot more, it feels a lot more scarce when you're drafting. Yeah, I definitely see a, a, a nice drop of um, between the 30 and 20. So, uh, you know, you got your big heavy hitters, Judge and Acuna and Tucker and all that. And all the way till maybe even Mike Trout, just include Mike Trout in the roughly $30 level. And then there's actually a big drop. It almost drops like a rock to the low 20s uh, to like Randy Rosarina. So it's there's there's pressure to get a $30 player. If, if you can snag like Mike Trout, uh, that's probably a good spot economically in the room because whoever's taking an outfielder next really shouldn't be for a while. You know, but they might think, oh, no, i got to get an outfielder. Or if they do, they're taking somebody ahead of value. Like a Michael Harris, they're going to be overtaking him. Uh, so that is one thing. And then it's very clumped from about, uh, somewhere around the $20 level. There's about 15 players that I have valued in ATC between $18 and $24. So that, to me, is what, I, what we call in the show a hot spot. That if you're planning on getting outfielders either in a draft or in the auction, you, you want to base your targets roughly around them because whoever your favorite is is going. Somebody is going to drop uh, in that range a couple dollars and be a bargain. The eighteen to twenty-four dollar range uh, to me is a is a nice hot spot. And there's different pockets of hot spots lower down. Really, uh, after that, it seems pretty much like last year. Um, in terms of a deeper, so. It's not as deep because the top stops at 30, but there's a very wide bottom because largely because of the DH coming to the NL, there are now more hitters available and they're all situated at somewhere between like the one and four dollar players. They're they're, they're uh, just above replacement or there is now extra players being added above replacement because of that. So it's actually a pretty wide bottom. You might be OK taking, you know, once you get past a certain point, you could just pick up a couple of one dollar players or end rounders. And there's a lot of them at that level. That's what I, that's what I noticed. Anything we move in? 
Yeah, I think it looks very similar to last year. I think there is not much change, and I think people should be aware that it may seem like it's shallower because other positions seem to have gotten better. Catcher position has gotten better. Middle infielder, especially um, shortstop, has gotten better. First base has gotten better. So just uh, when you look at the at the at the player pool in general, not just the outfield, but in general, when you see the outfielders, you think, oh, you know, it looks like it's getting weaker, but it's not. However, if you had to you know, go through the waiver wire toward July, August, last year, there were slim pickings out there. So, you know, you may be better off getting those uh, $2, $3 players and not waiting for those dollar players just because that extra value may pay off later in the year. So you won't have to get those uh, below, uh, below value players for later on. So I do want to ask you, Sarah, about platoon players. You know, a lot of more major league teams are doing platoon where you have a lefty-righty sharing it, or they're just spreading around some more playing time. The Giants are one of the teams. The Rays are one of the teams, so on and so forth. Um, in terms of fantasy play, obviously you want players who have more at-bats. You want a full share of the outfield at-bats, but you might be stuck at the very bottom, especially in deep leagues with these platoons. Uh, what is your take in terms of fantasy? Should you avoid these platoon players? Uh, is there any merit to rostering both members of a, pl- a pl- of a platoon? Is that a strategy at all? Uh, what, what's your take on platoons? Well, I'll take the second question first. I think that if you're in a daily moves league, rostering both players in a, in a platoon where you can get value from both of them could absolutely be helpful, right? Because you can swap that player in and out depending on who they're facing on the mound. But platoons are really tricky because not all platoons are created equal. I mean, the 28th most valuable outfielder last year was Jack Peterson, who only had 433 plate appearances. He got almost all of those plate appearances as part of a strong side platoon facing right-handed batters. He had 21 of his 23 home runs. In that situation, I would obviously rather have that outfield production from production from Peterson than the aforementioned Victor Robles and all of his at-bats, for example. But they're not all Jack Peterson, right? So you're really, you're trying to dig through and find those gems who are going to give you that extra added value. And having a platooned outfielder on your roster in a weekly moves league means you have to be paying very close attention to who they're facing and who they're projected to face on around and on the mound in a given week, right? Because if you don't know how many righties there are, and they're about to face a slew of lefties, you've just lost a week of outfield production. Yeah, I mean, with weekly moves, you know, you sort of, you know, when Brandon Belt is available, sure. Uh, but in daily league, uh, you know, one of those kind of players, absolutely. Peterson is far more valuable in a daily league because you get all this production, and then you get somebody else to fill in when he's not batting. Uh, so for sure, in terms of rostering both at the same time, can't Im- I can't imagine that people have deep enough rosters to do that. I mean, uh, I mean, even if you're in like a draft and hold league or, or a, I should say a super deep best ball league I, I'm more referring to where, you know, all right, I'll just take the better player. I, I don't even know if that's even a help, but it probably isn't. Ruben? I think it's not a matter of drafting them. I think it's a matter of drafting one of them and maybe picking another one up, let's say, if, if that platoon player gets hurt. I think you have to keep an eye on all situations, see what goes on during spring training, and see exactly who's going to get the majority of the playing time. If you, if you know the it's a righty-lefty platoon you want the, and you want the lefty, then 100% go after him. I, I have no issue with that. But going after the second guy, I, I mean— if if you've owned Austin Slater or if owned, or you've owned Lamonte Wade the last two years, you've been pulling your 
care about because you don't know what they do in, in, in San Francisco. They take them out in the middle of games, and it, it's just so frustrating the way the way that situation plays out. Same thing with, with Tampa Bay. You can't – it's so hard to. But if you know that there is going to be a, a sure split, like let's say a team is, is very straight with what they do and you know it's going to be a split, then it, it's kind of easier to do that because you know they'll get more stable at-bats. All right, so I do want to talk before we go more into the outfielders. Uh, we usually don't talk about specific players high up, but I want to just talk about Juan Soto. Uh, and, you know, I was chatting a little bit with Sarah the other day, and uh, she participated in an Atenu, an Atenu uh, auction, and she got a really nice price on Freddie Freeman. And she showed me what the, the other player paid for Juan Soto, about $14 more, some crazy number like that. And I'm saying, why in the world... Is that so? Why is there such a price discrepancy? To me, Freddie Freeman, if you look at how his stats go, we're talking a 25-homer player, 10 steals these days, batting champion potential, a heck of a lot of runs and RBIs. Isn't that Juan Soto with a more guarantee on average, with probably more steals, five less homers? Like, what are you getting out of Juan Soto that you're not getting? What are you getting out of Juan Soto that you're not getting from Freddie Freeman other than a couple more homers? Upside, maybe Juan Soto's upside, upside is there. But, you know, the median forecast of Soto versus Freeman, really identical is there any any merit to, to to my argument, Sarah? And uh, do you agree? And what what is the counter argument for why Juan Soto should go higher? Well, I think in Auto New particularly because it's got a dynasty format. You do have to look at the fact that Juan Soto is so much okay, younger okay. than Freddie Freeman that 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 does change the player value quite a bit there. But even beyond that, I mean, it's it's a it's a dynasty format where there's like an arbitration system and the player value goes up each year. So you're you're not just getting like a 40, I forget what the exact price was. I think it was 38 versus 52 or 38 versus 48 or something like that. But the you're, you're getting, you know, you're going to have to bump that Juan Soto salary every year that you want to keep Juan Soto. At some point, you're looking at like you have a $60 Juan Soto and he's either going to be worth that or not. I think in the short term, what my strategy was with that particular auction was to really target $30 players, not $40 players, because I wanted to be able to take those extra dollars and push put them into like three or four dollar players instead of one or two dollar players later and i like that strategy so far and i also if you're just looking at an auction for this for a year and where you're going to have an auction the next year and everything is going to reset you don't have keepers you don't have a dynasty component i agree with you completely i think that freddie freeman is a steal at that cost right because you're getting almost all of the production that you would get from a Juan Soto I think I heard someone and I, I apologize that I cannot remember which podcast I was listening to when I heard this the other day but Freddie Freeman was like the second most valuable player in Roto Leagues last year he has he is metronomic he is so consistent with everything that he does if you can get a player like that for five, six, seven dollars less than a Julio Rodriguez or a Juan Soto or somebody who's a little flashier, you should absolutely do that. Yeah, I mean, we've been preaching the Freddie Freeman low risk quite a bit this offseason. Uh, Ruvain, does the fact that Soto plays outfield come into play? Obviously, you know, it's more scarce than first base, and there's a lot of good first baseman bargains. Is that at all a consideration by pricing Soto so much more than Freeman? No, I don't think so, because if you're getting Freddie Freeman, you're getting one of the top one, two, or even three first basemen that are out there. So I don't think the fact that Soto plays the outfield makes that big of a difference, because if you look at the way ADP is going, a lot of the top guys are outfielders also, so I wouldn't be concerned you know, about that. And I think the thing with Soto is 
He's got the hype. He's young. He's got potential. He's a shiny new thing. People were aware of him more because he got to a World Series so quickly. Um, he's in a quote-unquote now better lineup than he was when he was in Washington, so people want to maybe pay more for him. But, you know, you want the steady person. I mean, Freddie Freeman has been steady for so many years. I think people are just saying, you know what? We know what Freddie Freeman's ceiling is. Juan Soto maybe, maybe, maybe can be like an Aaron Judge and have that breakout 50, 55 home run season because he has the potential to do that. We've seen it in spurts. The problem is, is that you're paying too much and you're not going to recoup the money you're paying in, in draft capital for Juan Soto when, you're, when you'll be getting equal or if not a little more money back when you draft someone like Freddie Freeman. Yeah, totally. At the very top, you should not be buying based on ceiling. You should be buying based on floor, right? Or, or median at least. Uh, sure, I agree. Soto has the upside, but Free Freeman is very close in in the median projection. So uh, there. Uh, t- two quick tidbits: Juan Soto last year had a lower WRC plus than Dan Vogelbach with the Mets. Uh, now that doesn't mean that we were going to project him anymore, but that's just a fun fact for Mets fans. Uh, and uh, the tidbit on Freddie Freeman is. Do you know who had more stolen bases last year, Freddie Freeman or fellow Dodger Mookie Betts? I'm going to go with Freeman there yeah. um, mm-hmm. because that was a that was a very weird circumstance for Freeman. But I, I do want to go back to one thing you were just saying about Juan Soto. You know, you were mentioning the upside. You were mentioning how many home runs he could hit, how shiny and flashy we see his upside as being. I think it is worth noting Juan Soto went to a worse park and – All of those incredible years of Juan Soto came with a different hitting coach and a different hitting philosophy. We just haven't seen that with the Padres yet. And I'm not saying that he's lost it. I think Juan Soto is amazing and brilliant. And if you're in an OBP league and it's a dynasty league, you should want him on your team forever because he's an OBP god of sorts. But at the same time, it it is worth noting that we just saw half a season of Juan Soto not looking very Juan Soto-ish. And he's not in a good park situation for that, even though he's in a better lineup situation. All right, time for the ATC undervalued players. Uh, when I just a, a preface, when I list out some numbers in terms of he's worth this or he's going for that, I generally use dollars. Um, and what I do is I announce the fifth, the fifteen, just to keep everything all consistent. Fifteen team league, five by five, so roughly NFBC format. Um, and what their auction dollar equivalent is for an a, for an average draft position. So I basically take what their ADP is and I convert it to a, a typical dollar amount that you would get at that level. And, you know, that shows me what the bargains are. Just ranks aren't really good enough because the difference between the 200th and 210th ranked player is nothing, whereas the difference between 4 and 7 is quite a bit, you know, that kind of thing. All right, so first player I have here is Nick Castellanos, or Castellanos. How do you pronounce it? I don't know. Castellanos. 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 (laughs) Okay, Castellanos. I did think that. Um, So uh, I have him as a close to $16 player, uh, whereas the market is projecting him uh, for about a 12.5 ADP. I mean, he's had a really good track record just to list out his – his uh, roto values accumulated at the end of the year. Last year was only $9, but before then, 29, 17, 18, 23, 16, all going way above what ATC's projection, all, all above, way above what he's being drafted at. Um, the dude was hurt last year. I mean, he only had 13 homers, just so abnormal. He had uh, an 8.6 homer to fly ball ratio, way, way different than he usually does. 
Uh, kind of think that last year was an aberration, and for some reason the market is penalizing him. Should they? What do you think, Sarah? I love Nick Castellanos as a back, uh, bounce back candidate, and I watched him um, at Wrigley Field when he was there for a couple of months. I also watched him a lot with the Cincinnati Reds when he was playing over in Great American Ballpark. I think the hit tool is real. I think that Nick Castellanos had two things going on last year. You, you identified one of them with the injury. The other is that he was one of these hitters who kind of, he hits the ball to the alleys. He's not really a poolside guy, and I think that, that the new ball, the humidor situation, uh, really impacted him more than it impacted some other players. But if you just look at his hard hit rate, you see that it kind of collapsed in 2022. And I don't think there's any reason to think that he's at an age where he just can't hit the ball hard anymore. He went from hitting the ball hard 40.4% of the time in Cincinnati in 2021 down to 27.8% of the time last year with the Phillies. I think that if he is healthy, that is going to improve dramatically and he will bounce back to form. Ruvain, what's your take on Nick? He's a very interesting uh, conundrum because when I was at a Mets-Phillies game with Ellen Adair, who's a big Phillies fan, and I asked, what's wrong with Nick Castellanos? And she said, I don't know. It's very frustrating. Well, the injury does obviously play a little bit into it, but there are other things that are going on. His walk rate has gone down each of the last three years. He had a career low in barrel rate last year, only 6.6%. His home run to fly ball rate was also extremely low. 8.6%, and that's in Philadelphia. He actually, it seems like he tried to make an effort to go opposite field. You mentioned going in the gaps, but he actually went opposite field 30% of the time, which is more than he's ever done ever before in his, in his career. So maybe, maybe the changing that they can't do a shift will actually help him a little bit. He it may help with his batting average just a little bit. Um, I think the power will come. I don't think he's going to, you know, max out like he did a couple of years ago, but I also think that he also is pressing a little bit because he did sign a new contract and players after signing a first year and then first year of the contract always seem to press a little bit more and you don't always get the full value out of them yeah so just to add and i agree with all you guys uh he's very well categorically spread the atc intra sd very low at 0.49 so he he still has a couple bases and he should have a lot of runs and rbis the the, the point i want to make is that uh his rbi and runs total were really way down. And despite him um, having a 263 average, he just didn't walk a lot last year, so he didn't get on base that much. That hurt his runs. And he didn't have such a great power year, so that hurt his RBIs. But he's normally a 90-plus or close to 90 runs and RBIs player, and ATC's only projecting him for the mid-70s mid in each. So I kind of think bounce back can be even more than what ATC's projecting projecting which is what he's been doing his whole career uh i think it's definitely a decent bet if nothing else put him in your hot spot with a bunch of outfielders at around the same price point we're talking ninth round players if somebody slips to the 10th round that's the outfielder to pick and nick castellanos is a very good value in the 10th round next one is taylor ward ruben i'll let you go first uh what are your thoughts of taylor ward is a perceived not two dollar bargain uh, by ATC projections, $16.5 to about $14 uh, from the market. 
Well, last year he finally got consistent playing time, and it actually showed. Um, this is a player that helps your team win a league. The year, well, two years ago, he had a WAR of minus point seven. Last year, three point eight. His hard hit rate went up. His walk rate went up. His fly ball rate went up in in conjunction with his home run to fly ball rate. He batted cleanup for the first part of the season, and then he batted leadoff also for a good portion of the season. So both of those spots in the lineup are great or were great for him. Uh, the question is. Is he going to get those same spots this coming year? Is he going to be getting? Is he going to continue what he's going to what he's doing? He's only really done it for one full season. Do you trust him for that one full season? I guess you can, but I'm a little I'm a little nervous about taking him uh, even where he's going because I think I'd rather have someone more with someone more of a better track record. Like I think I'd rather go with Nick Castellanos and a Taylor Ward. Yeah, so the projections are actually really similar categorically between Ward and Castellanos. They're going, Castellanos going a little bit cheaper than Ward, and to me he's more established. I prefer Castellanos to Ward for that reason. But, yeah, Ward seems like he could be a couple-dollar bargain. Uh, I mean, we saw what he did last year. 23 homers, 5 steals, 281 average. Um, his BABIP was a little bit high, so that's going to regress a little bit. Uh, strikeout rate is decent, so you're not going to see too much regression in the batting average. Uh, but, you know, there's a guy we're talking low 20s homers, couple of steals, bunch of RBIs and runs. So this is a nice, well-spread-out category. So low risk of failure completely. Uh, will he be a, a, a you know, ninth, eighth, seventh-round player? Maybe, maybe not. But, uh, you know, seems like another one of these guys to throw in the hot spot and pick whoever is the cheapest. What are your thoughts on Ward, Sarah? I always love it when I go to a player's baseball savant page and it's just a sea of red. Right. There's like no blue on this page. He's like the he's got an 86 percent max EV. He's got an 82nd percent expected batting average. He's got a 92nd percentile expected Woba, like everything on this page. The barrel percentage is 86 percentile. Everything on this page is red. And I absolutely love that. I think if Taylor Ward stays healthy, he's probably a steal at that $2 value. And I very much like Taylor Ward. I think I might like him a little bit more than Nick Castellanos, both because I think that he's a little bit younger and we finally saw him put it together last time. My only question mark with Ward versus Castellanos is I don't like the cast of characters around him in Los Angeles as much as I like the cast of characters around Castellanos in Philadelphia. Yeah. Ward, by the way, is projected better than Castellanos by ATC. Uh, the bargain is just slightly more from Castellanos, and he's the cheaper one. But again, they're, these are ninth-round players, so uh, it's a good round to take an outfielder is what we're telling you here. Um, okay. I uh, want to talk about two Diamondbacks, and I'll put them together because uh, they really— uh, a lot of it is playing time, and the question is, you know, will they get it, right? I, these players might be good, but will they actually play? And the players are Jake McCarthy and Lourdes Gurriel. Um, Sarah, I'll, I'll let you go first. Are you interested in Jake McCarthy, Lourdes Gurriel? Are they bargained? Now, they're very different price points. McCarthy's going in the eighth round of drafts. Gurriel's going in the 16th. They're both in the outfield in Arizona, both have perceived bargains. What are your take on those two? Well, the thing that's interesting to me here is, is, is how much do you believe that Jake McCarthy is going to get the job and be able to run with it? And I look at what Jake McCarthy did last year. He had 354 plate appearances, and he was the 34th most valuable outfielder, according to auction values. And I, I think that the, he's going to get some runway with that Arizona Diamondbacks team to prove what he can do. I actually found them adding Gurriel... At, not puzzling per se, but like I, I just think that they have so much outfield talent there with Corbin Carroll, with Jake McCarthy, that I, I 
you know, I kind of liked what they had with those two guys and and Dalton Varsho before they kind of sw- swapped with the Blue Jays um, over all of that. I am a big fan of Jake McCarthy and what he can put together. This is not a diss on Lourdes Gurriel, by the way. Like, I like him as well. Like, I think he's a fine player. I just think that if I'm choosing between the two of them, I'm, I'm interested in what Jake McCarthy can do with a full season, given what we already saw him do with a partial season. I mean, I had him in my notes of players who were super valuable with a partial season for when we were thinking about platoons and partial season players and who can be valuable there. And now we're looking at a potential full season from him, which I I'm just super thrilled about. So Sarah, who, who are the other outfielders in Arizona? So you got McCarthy, Gurriel, Corbin Carroll. I mean, who else can really take a big chunk of playing time? Lewis? Uh, Lewis theoretically could take some playing time. It looks like, yeah, he might be the only one. Maybe I'm. You got Alc Alc Thomas have, in the minors. Don't they have Garrett in the minors? Am I am I mistaking that? Yeah, I just I just don't see I don't see big reasons to to doubt McCarthy's playing time. Um, you know, I mean Alec uh, Thomas in the minors. Alec Thomas. Well, yeah. I, I don't see any reason to to doubt McCarthy's playing time. He had 321 at bats last year. Projections are giving him. You know, I, I have him at 500 roughly. I, I don't see how it's going to be much, much lower than that. I mean, you know, anybody can get injured as well. And is Corbin Carroll going to – I mean, I, I got to imagine he's going to get full playing time. But I, Kyle Lewis going to grab that much playing time from him? I, I, I don't I don't see that. R- Ruvain, am I, am I wrong here? No, I, I don't think you're wrong. But, again, he's young. He's only um, – McCarthy here. He's only 25. So you don't he's, – he's still not really – proven 100% yet. I mean, last year between the majors and the minors, he had 13 homers and 34 stolen bases. His Babbitt in the majors is actually lower than in the minors. So, but if you, if you put everything together, um, he's actually a little bit lucky last year. He hits the ball on the ground 50% of the time. And with that speed, batting lefty with no shift, he's going to get on base a lot. And that's why they have him in there. And that's why they had him. He batted third for most of the season last year. So, you know, he's he's not known for his power. He's not the prototypical number three hitter. They seem like they're trying to put together the 85 Cardinals. We're trying to put speed, have Corbin Carroll, have Jake McCarthy, have them run, you know, run circles around you. Um, and as for Lourdes Gurriel, um, he did take a step back last year. Um, he did still bat 291, but he had a very unlucky home run to fly ball rate. He had a home run to fly rate of 4.2, which is kind of ridiculous. That's really, really low. So this is very unlucky. Um, and the fact that he's he's a little bit older, um, we have a better idea of what he's gonna what he's gonna give you. He's not gonna give you probably what he gave you in 2019. He's probably not gonna give you uh, what he gave you in 2021. He'll probably give you somewhere in the middle. So he's he's not a great get for Arizona this past year. Um, but he will get his playing time. I think McCarthy, I think he's going to be batting number three. I don't see if, if you can get a number three hitter this late in the round, this late in the draft, I think that's a no-brainer to get someone at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, yeah, he batted third in the order for the last, uh, you know, five weeks or so in the season. Roster resource, not the roster resource is God here, but, you know, they show him they show him as batting third. I can't see how he just exits the lineup on a regular basis. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the playing time is there. And I, I'm really pressing on the playing time because I think this whole thing is tied to the playing time. He's a steals guy. He stole 23 stolen bases and 321 at-bats. His on-base percentage was 342 last year. Um, you know, some I, I think he's a potential, potential 40 stolen base guy. I mean, the bags are, are getting bigger. There's a pitch clock thing, right? There's the pickoff rules. I think 30 stolen bases 
is not a very hard outcome to, to think of. Um, and that's what ATC is projecting. I think it could be even more. Um, in terms of the power, yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think you're going to get that pace. He had eight homers in that same time last year. That's going to be that's too much. I mean, he is as Ruvain said, you're, he's a, a, over a fifty percent ground ball guy. So sure, that will pace. But for an entire season, ten, you know, ten thirty, ten thirty is pretty valuable. Um, and uh, he's going in the eighth round, but he's worth another round or so more. I mean, Tommy Edmond versus McCarthy. Who do you, who who do you got, Sarah? Oh, I, I think I would take McCarthy over Edmund, although I'm pausing a little bit because Edmund has that second base eligibility and second base is such a mess this year. Oh, that's true. Is is Edmund eligible in the outfield as well again? I think no. he's to be shortstop at yeah. the moment. Yeah. And that to be eligibility is the thing that I really like about Tommy Edmund this year. But just head to head who I think the better player is, I think it's Jake McCarthy and I Right. Don't think it's particularly but, close. But Tommy Edmund is in a better lineup for now. He's he's in a better established lineup, and he may bat leadoff almost every day. And if he bats leadoff, and you want a stolen base guy, I mean, do you want a stolen base guy who bats leadoff or who bats third? I mean, it's 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 kind of a weird question because no yeah. one ever asked that. Who who puts their you know a 30, 30 Usually, if you kill thirty bases and you bat third, you also hit thirty home runs. It's usually a thirty thirty guy type guy, but th- yeah. that's not the case here. Yeah, the runs and RBIs could potentially be a lot more if he stays in the three-hole. I know Arizona's not a great lineup, but it's still a third three-hole. And you're getting a two-round discount to Edmund. From six to the sixth round to eighth, that's a huge, huge discount. Uh, so I like that. Uh, Lord Escorio, yeah, I mean, you know, the question is, you know, that, that power last year, where was it? You know, assume a, a bounce back, and we're talking some profit. Um, I like the McCarthy profile better. Uh, Gurriel is just a nice... You know, if you need if you need some counting stats, um, sure. Uh, I'm not in love with the player though. Uh, let's leave it at that. All right. Before we do our next player, it's time for the injury gurus trivia of the week. So this trivia question is going to be based on the next outfielder that we're going to be discussing. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you two stat lines, and I want you to be able to tell me both players. Okay. First stat line. Project, uh, from last year, from 2022. First stat line, nine homers, 62 RBIs, 73 runs, four stolen bases, with an expected batting average according to StatCast of 280. And right now, ADP according to NFBC since January 1st is 176. Second player... Let's just say it again? Sorry. <laughs> okay, nine homers, 62 RBIs, 73 runs, four stolen bases, and an expected batting average of 280 from last year, and right now going 176 since January 1st by NFBC standards. The second player, 11 home runs, 74 RBIs, 75 runs, one stolen base, an expected batting average of 278, and has been going at 198. Who are these two players? Well, I think I have a guess as to who the second one is, but that's partially because it's one of my targets who I like a lot. (laughs) Okay, so who is it? I think it's Alex Verdugo, and That's I think he's correct. being extremely undervalued right now, and I don't understand why, because, I mean, I get that he didn't have the season we all thought he was going to have last year, but he also had quite the drop in his BABIB luck last season, and it's really the only thing that I can find that is messing with Verdugo's numbers. Like, he cut his K rate, he hits the ball hard still, he's I, I he's still pretty young. Like, I just don't have a lot of red flags for him, and so I think that Alex Verdugo in that close to 200 pick is, is a pretty nice deal. 
What what was the batting average for the guy, the first guy? The first guy was, according to StatCast, a 280 expected batting average. All right. Now, is there, now, <laughs> so is there a reason you, you gave the expected? Is it because it's Jeff McNeil? Yes, correct. It is Jeff McNeil, <laughs> nice. and that's why I gave expected batting because if I gave you the real batting average. You would yes, know it. But right. look at all look at all the other stats there. I mean, they're so similar. And Jeff McNeil's going one seventy six right now, and and Verdugo is going one ninety eight. You're getting almost the same player. Yes, you're not going to get the same batting average, a hundred percent, and that's why I said expected, um, because you know you can get both. You can get a. a a 200, 280 batting hitter, and as opposed to a 320, it's it's not that huge of a deal. And if you're going after batting average, both of them stabilize your batting. Unless you're going to get a batting average drain, you know, that's what it is. I mean, Alex Verdugo, he's boring because we know what he is. A low teens home run guy, handful of stolen bases, good batting average. His batting was a little below his career average last year, but he's, he's hitting more fly balls last year than he did ever in his career. And his home run to fly ball rate went up, so there's possibility more power there. Plus, he's only 26. Now, the question is, that lineup, the Red Sox lineup is not that great. I mean, it looks not that great. Um, so he can bat fifth. He can bat sixth. He batted cleanup way too much last year because, again, just like Jake McCarthy is not a number three hitter, Verdugo is not really the prototypical number four hitter. So I think that, you know, I mean, if, if you if you love Jeff, Jeff McNeil, you've got the position eligibility in another position, which is great also. So there's more value there. But... If you want the poor man's Jeff McNeil, Alex Verdugo is the guy. It's a very interesting comp. And I, I can't believe, Ruben, that I got McNeil from the nuance where I, I saw you say expected batting average. I'm like, what the hell isn't he just saying batting average? Oh, oh I said it batting must average, be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it must be you're trying to hide it, and that's McNeil. <laughs> so. Well, well, listen, if all the metrics are the same and, and that one glaring thing is the guy yeah. who actually led the league in batting average, like, I have to, you know— Hide it just a little bit, but it, it it worked. It worked. I think it worked okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it makes me happy. Uh, yeah, Alex Verdugo. I mean, uh, he's he's on this list of our undervalued outfielders like every single year, and every single year so far, we've steered you correct. He's been he was a thirteen dollar player last year, and his cost was like eight. He was a sixteen dollar player the year before, his cost was eight. Then he was a sixteen dollar player the year before. Then his cost was eight. So, I mean, the same thing's happening. His actual cost has dropped. It's now seven. And we're not even projecting him for all that much. <laughs> uh, so it's like a no-brainer. Like, you're getting this good batting average source at the end. You're getting uh, a couple of homers. So the thing is that the steals have pretty much dropped off. He only had one steal, although maybe it comes back with the with the, the rules. I mean, he, he had six steals the year before, so maybe you get that again. Homers, okay, so you know you're not getting anything more than about a dozen, but the the runs and RBIs, and it really predicates on where they he get bats in the lineup, which should be high because of his average, and the rest of the Red Sox. That's the only the only tarnishing thing really is are the Red Sox lineup around him bad enough that will cost him runs, which is his most valuable commodity here. In a good lineup, he he should be batting number two. That that's the ideal spot for him, so he can get on base ahead of the big boppers. That's what he should be in a good lineup. Yeah, I mean, I'll read you the runs for the last three seasons: seventy-five, eighty-eight, and in twenty twenty, with the pace of ninety-seven. Um, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. So uh, Verdugo is a good buy, folks, um, for value reasons. Now, he, he, the upside, he doesn't have an upside. Have a, <laughs> right? There's, there's, it's this a, is, this is a floor pick. Yeah. Yeah, this is a floor pick. But here's the thing, folks. Floor picks are fine when you're getting a $5 bargain and only paying $7, 
right? It's okay to have a floor pick. If you made $5 profit on everybody, you're going to win your league easily, right? And and, and on, a, on a $7 player, a $5 return, you know, we're talking a 40% profit, whatever it is, it, it's it, that's a good return. You take the floor picks here. I win leagues because I take these kinds of guys, not because I take, oh, this guy could be the best. I, I'm happy if he returns $14, $15, and he's been doing that every single year. So that's that's the argument for him. Next player, Mitch Hanniger. You're taking Hanniger out for Cedric Mullins the third. All right, so Mitch Hanniger, um, you know, for him, it's uh, it's health. And so, Ruvain, we go to you first on this. Is Mitch Hanniger healthy? Because a, Mitch Han- a healthy Mitch Hanniger is a 30 home run player. And, I mean, he was a $25 player back in 2021 where he had 620 at-bats after missing all of the previous season. What's the story with his health? I think he's completely healthy at this point. I think um, he had a high ankle sprain last year, and he missed a chunk of time. And then he had a back issue after that, which hindered him also. But I think that was because of coming back from the ankle issues, because the ankle, the way you move around, can affect the back. So I think that's really what affected. I think he's okay. I think the issue now is that now he's in San Francisco. It's not a great hitter's ballpark. That's not a great lineup. He does have a little more job security now that he's he's in right field there, and there's really nobody behind him. Because when he was in, in, in Seattle, there were so many talented outfielders at that time when he was there that he, he really wasn't secured a spot there. Now, he had a home run to fly over rate that was the lowest of his career last year. I think it was because of the ankle. I think it was because of, the, of his back issue after that. So if he's if he's healthy, which I think he is at this point, you can have what he did on average in 2021 and 2018 where he averaged 30-plus home runs, 95-plus RBIs, over 100 runs. You know, that's what he averaged in those two seasons. And he could do that again. And you may be getting a great bargain here as long as he is 100% healthy. And that's what you have to see in spring training, how he's moving around. If they say that anything is lingering from, from previous years, if there's little soreness, little tweaking here and there. So you have to keep your ear out and listen to how he does during spring training. Yeah, I mean, there's no stolen bases here, and the average is, like, moderate. But, again, it's power, and it's the run production stats here. Is that good enough for you to take a 12th-round player, Sarah? I don't know that I want Mitch Hanniger in the 12th round, but the reason is more health-related than skills-related. I think that he has the skills to be a 12th-round player, and it's it's ironic, actually, because I feel like he's a guy who I would like to see what he could do in a better park and because Seattle is not really a great place uh, to play offensively either, but he's moving from Seattle to San Francisco, which doesn't really help him um, in the power categories. I mean, I, 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 I'm torn on Mitch Hanniger. He's a player that I like a lot more as a real life baseball player than I like as a fantasy baseball player. And part of that is because he's hurt so often. And part of that is because I've just, I feel like we're waiting for him to get back to putting together what he started to put together in like 2017 and 2018. And it's really easy to forget that those WRC plus seasons that were like 129, 137 are like four or five years ago now. That's a long time in baseball to take a risk on in the 12th round. Yeah. So, um, you know, Mitch Hanniger, I look at some of the risk statistics and they're not that great. The ATC interprojectional standard deviation, almost four. That's high. The skew is positive 1.4. That's a big skew, and skew means that there's an outlier projection up that's propping up the ATC projections, but in reality, he's lower. If you take account some of the risk characteristics, my adjusted price for him is actually $2 lower. So his perceived $3.5 bargain only is like a dollar and a half. 
So I'm not as thrilled with Mitch Hanniger. If the price drops dramatically, sure. Uh, but no, he, he's not. And, you know, he, he doesn't fill out all the categories. There is health risk. Not my favorite guy. Again, it's, you know, if he drops to the 14th round, yeah, I think I'd be willing to take that risk. Cause then, then you're coming back up to the $4 profit potential range is what well, I'm how, Well, then how about this? About four or five rounds later, his teammate, Michael Conforto, comes up. Would you rather take the risk on a Michael Conforto or do you rather take the risk on a Mitch Hanniger? Oh, boy. That's uh, a. <laughs> well, I, I actually think I'd rather take the risk on Conforto. And I'm doing this a little bit off the top of my head, but like Conforto has put it all together more recently, even with the entire season lost to injury. I don't have Conforto's page in front of me right now, but I feel like we have seen flashes of brilliance from Conforto more recently than we have seen flashes of brilliance from Hanniger. And I'm pulling it up as we speak to see if my guess there's right. I can't see myself taking Conforto. He hasn't been on the diamond for a for a long long time. Uh I mean I I saw his last game as a Met in 2021. He made some nice catches. Yeah. So Conforto put together a WRC plus of 127 over 648 plate appearances in 2019. In the shortened season admittedly 2020 he had a WRC plus of 158 across 233 plate appearances, which you can project out, would project out to a full season. I mean, that is still more recent than we have seen Mitch Hanniger do anything close to that on a baseball field. So it's not that I believe in Conforto. I think both of these guys are the high ceiling type of guys that people are dreaming on. Maybe they can put it together one more time and they'll do it for me this year and help me win my league. They're, they're like the anti-Alex Verdugo, honestly, and I probably want a team with more Verdugo than Conforto or Hanniger. But I think if I have to choose between Conforto and Hanniger, I want Conforto four rounds later. He has higher upside in my mind, and he did it more recently. Yeah, I'm going to go Hanniger uh, for that choice, although it's not a good decision. The answer is still no, <laughs> but yeah, but no, I, I think I'd actually rather have Hanniger. I mean, that, that 2020... I, I'd also ra- I'd also rather have Hanniger. 100% I'd rather have Hanniger. Conforto, you don't know what you're going to get out of him. I mean, he last time he played a baseball game was the same time that Fernando Tatis played a baseball game. That's how <laughs> long they've both been out. It's, it's just so crazy to think about that. And Hanniger, you've seen on the diamond, he's he, he seems to gut it out more. I mean, again, you, you talked earlier about the eye test. Hanniger seems to gut things out more than Conforto does. And that's from, being, from watching Conforto for many years, up close and personal. It just seems like he... Goes, he plays through injury more than Conforto does. We're talking here with Sarah Sanchez, and uh, we're about to uh, talk about the most uh, potential profit or the biggest projected bargain from value to market, according to ATC, and that is Randall Grichuk, who ATC is projecting at about a $10 player, and in the market he's going for a market equivalent of about $3. We're talking about a, a 17th round, almost 18th round player, uh, but... ATC is projecting him for a lot better than that. Uh, Randall Grichuk is uh, well. Take a look at his uh, look at his accumulated uh, roto values since 2017: two dollars, and then eight, eight, twenty-three, nine, eleven. So since 2018, he has been essentially a ten-dollar player, except for that amazing short season in 2020. And by the way, now he's in. Colorado. By the way, Colorado hitters are better this year because they get the same number of games in Colorado, but fewer games at the Dodgers, at the Giants, at the Padres, the pitching parks and the good pitching, and they play everybody else. So it's better for Colorado. And 
to boot, he is triple risk low. He's got very spread out stats. Skew is negative. His standard deviation, his spread is very low. Um, I mean, this is this is a player who's just done it every year. Like, I'm happy if he does the same thing that he did the last five years in a row, and I'm getting a huge price. And my risk-adjusted price is higher than his regular price because of his low-risk characteristics. So why is the market not not seeing that? Is it just because Colorado's a bad team? Like, what's—Colorado uh, scored, I think, the most runs of any team last year. What's— and, and now they got Chris Bryant back, hopefully, full-time. What, what am I, I seeing that, that the— uh, that the market's not seeing, Sarah. Well, the thing that I that jumps out to me with Randall Grichik, and I, I watched him play a lot of games for the St. Louis Cardinals back in the day, his ground ball percentage just absolutely skyrocketed in his first season at Colorado. So in Toronto in 2021, he had a ground ball percentage of 39.7%. His launch angle was like, I think, 16, mid-16%. Um, the in Colorado last year, his ground ball percentage was 50.9% of the time and his launch angle was average launch angle was like eight degrees. So something has happened to his swing that has changed the way that he approaches the ball and is probably, in my opinion, the culprit behind his change in production, in addition to like Colorado just not being nearly as good of a cast of characters as Toronto. If he can demonstrate in spring training that he has adjusted his swing back to what we were used to seeing in Toronto and St. Louis. I love this buy of Randall Gritchick, but I am I am cautious about it because I think that there's a swing mechanics issue there that he needs to adjust. And his stats, though, were decent last year. And even with all the flaws, he hit 19 homers. He batted two, almost 260, 73 RBIs. Like, I, if he doesn't adjust and he stays the way he is, I'm happy with this price, and as you said, if he goes back to the the old mechanics, I mean, we're talking about a Colorado player. We're talking about a fifteen dollar player. So I'm, 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 I'm not all in, but I, at this price, it's a yes for me, Ruben. Hundred percent, it's a yes for me too. The problem with him is that he has his ceiling already. A lot of times when players have their ceiling, there's no, uh, when you're drafting someone, you're always looking, okay, they're leaning around. I want to get someone with upside. I want to get someone with upside. I want to get someone with upside. His upside, we know what he's going to give us, Ray. We know he's going to get about 20 home runs, about 70 RBIs, about a 260 average, and he's playing in Colorado. And, and Sarah, exactly like you said, if he could fix that ground ball issue, he can hit more than that. He's going to be in Colorado for 81 of his games. And like Ari, like you said, he's not going to be playing in the tough ballparks. You put all that together, that's a formula for him to take off. A la what happened a couple of years ago when the when the Colorado Rockies decided to take on a first baseman who really didn't do that well in a couple of leagues. They brought him there and all of a sudden he flourished. Do you remember who that was? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think he just stumped me. You don't remember? I mean, it was very recent. You know, like CJ Crone? Oh, yes, obviously. C.J. Crone. C.J. Uh, Crone. My mind's on Bryant you know, for some reason. It, well, C.J. Crone, you, you put a home run hitter in Colorado. If you can fix their swing, he will hit home runs. C.J. Crone, everyone was very high on him when he went to Colorado. And you know what? He's. I think this is the same thing. He's. I think he will adjust. I think he's going to fix it. He's 31. He, he, you know, he knows the mechanics of baseball. I think he can make the mechanical fix over the offseason. And like Sarah said, if you see it in the, in the spring training, you see that he makes that fix, you got to jump on him because he's a real bargain. Yeah, the interesting thing though is is, is what gives me a little pause about these Rockies that we're, uh, I mean, uh, recommending I guess what we're doing here, or at least we're pointing out the 
possible value. And you can throw Charlie Blackman in this because uh, he's also a small bargain, according to ATC. Uh, it's all the Rockies. I mean, we, we said, we, we've had McMahon on, on our corner show. We pointed out Rogers and Tovar on the show. So it's almost like the Rockies are being undervalued by by uh, by the market, according to ATC. It, it seems like a consistent thread, and that gives me pause. Uh, is really all the Rockies are undervalued? Can that be? So I, I have a little pause about that. But Gleechuk is such a such a large bargain compared to the market that I got to think that uh, he doesn't have to do much. It's a it's a it's an economic buy again. It's not a oh my god he's the he's going to be an upside player. It's just I don't know. I'll take a three dollar Gleechuk will return me nine. I, I can do a lot worse, you know. All right, moving on. Uh, Austin Hayes. Baltimore outfielder, he had 535 at-bats last year, 16 homers, mid-60s runs, 60 RBIs, projected to do about the same, which is about an $8 player. He's going in the 19th round, so similar to Grichuk. Is this a hot spot here, Sarah, where pick your Hayes, pick your Grichuk, you're getting somebody at a nice profit, so just pencil in an outfielder here for you? Yeah, you can pencil in an outfielder for me here, but I think that I'm going to go with Grichik over Hayes. I don't love um, the underlying mechanics for Hayes as much, and I worry a lot about his batted ball profile with what Baltimore has done to their park. And I, I hate saying this because there's like a handful of dudes who I really liked two years ago on the Orioles who have all just been impacted by them moving that wall back and up in ways that have really stolen power from them at the same time that MLB has changed the ball a bit, changed the humidor situation, done, done a handful of things that were going to sap power anyway. And I feel like Hayes is one of the dudes who has been impacted by that pretty considerably. Uh, totally, and so if, totally. if you're giving me a choice between Austin Hayes and Randall Grichuk, welcome to my team, Randall Grichuk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and also, look where he's going to bat in the lineup. In the beginning of the season, he started batting higher up in the lineup, and then he's batting lower. And again, if you want to go by roster resources, they have him batting eighth right now. That, that's not really a guy you—I mean, it, this is later in the draft already, and you can still get, let's say, the mid-20s home run, like maybe low-20s low home runs, because that's what he did last year. But he hit, you know, 16, 22, he hit 16. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. And playing time. If the Orioles are going to be good this year, and they're they're trying to make that next step, he's going to have to be a big part of it. If he's, if he's not going to be a big part of it, and they're off to a good start, he may start losing playing time. Yeah. Low K rate, so you know there's there's a somewhat of a floor there for him, but it, not that interesting a player. Again, it's somebody I put into the hot spot that if they fall, you know, if he's go, if they, if he goes to the twenty first round, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, Manny Margot, uh, Manny Margot has a better power speed blend. He's somebody that he can fill in some of the steals if you're lacking at a certain point. Um, batting average should be generally okay. He's got a really good strikeout rate. He had a 19% strikeout rate last year. Typically had been, you know, closer 15, 16 almost. Uh, is he healthy, Ruvain? And are you interested at all in Manny Margot? 
he seems healthy. I mean, he came back healthy. And if you look at the slashes before and after the injuries, I mean, he slashed 348, 412, 500 through the first 27 games of the season. But then he went on the aisle with a hamstring strain. Then he came back. He posted a 256, 316, 344 over another 24 games. And then he went on the aisle with a knee injury, costing him two months. He only played 89 games last year. But... Look at that upside. He is a boring 10-15 guy when he's healthy, and he's going to be playing almost every day if he's healthy because the Rays don't really have any outfield prospects who have hit the uh, hit the road running right now. So he would for, he, for me, he would be a very good fourth or fifth outfielder, someone who can give you 15 stolen bases, and if he gets hot like he did at the beginning of last season, if he can take that through the rest of the season, that'd be great. I see him as an anti-correlation guy, and what I mean by that, it's a very technical term, is that you look at your portfolio and you see what categories you have and you don't have, and you might find that he fits your bill, that spread. Maybe you need a power guy, maybe you need a blend, maybe you need a speed. You, know, um, you, you need to pick and choose at this point who would complement the rest of your, your, uh, uh, your squad. Um, yeah, he's shown a little bit of upside. His highest dollar value that he's ever produced, though, which is in 2021, of $8. So I don't think there's a huge upside. Um, and with the Rays, you never know with the playing time. So he's not my favorite choice here. But again, if he somehow drops a little bit in price, as always, and he compliments my portfolio, you know what? I could use a couple of steals to reassure. I'm okay with power. You know, I, I need my average not harmed. He's not going to harm your average, that kind of thing. Uh, then he fits. He's a fit. He's a fit player. He's right. He's, whether he fits in your in your portfolio or not, otherwise he's not that interesting to me. What about you, Sarah? I like uh, Manuel Margot. What what round did you say he was going in again? Currently the twenty first in the last let's say three weeks of NFBC. Yeah, so twenty first round. I think that getting a guy who is, at least is projected to have an everyday roster spot. I mean, I know it's the Rays, so we don't know for sure that he'll have an everyday roster spot. He has struggled to stay healthy. But I think that you're getting a guy who you know will run, who is going to play for a really good team and have opportunities. Um, I also love the, I, I just like the way he approaches um, hitting, right? Like he's a guy who strikes out 18.7% of the time uh, last season, 15.1% of the time the season before. He's he's not a high strikeout guy. He's going to get on base and he's going to get you some steals, get you some runs. Um, I think that's a really good value in the 21st round of a 15-team draft. And and I like Manuel Margot. I think that he's got – he's another one of those high-floor type of guys if he's healthy. I just want to add one thing, though. Um, he is very interesting to me in mono leagues because in a mono league, you're always going to get some guys who don't get the full playing time. And Margot maybe is in between, right? He's like a raised platoon guy. He'll get, a little, you know, more than just a platoon but not the full time. Uh, and those, you know, little high floor guys at the bottom, like in 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 a in a mono league, I, I haven't done the math, but he's got to be worth like around ten dollars that you can get for four, right? He he's like the perfect example of a great mono league player. Um, so just just note that it he really depends on format. In a twelve team league, forget it for me. Uh, so it really depends on the format. Uh, Want to talk about this guy who? I didn't know much about until I did projections, but he pops up as, hmm, uh, TJ, uh, is it Friedel? Is that I, think, I think it's Friedel, but that's Friedel? Uh, that's a Friedel. guess based on him playing the Cubs last year. Uh, like Max Friedel? <laughs> yeah. Max Friedel. Okay, so TJ Friedel. Um, I guess I just learned your how to pronounce your name. Uh, he seems pretty interesting to me. Um, 
you know, I look for guys who I always look for skilled guys who can jump into more playing time. And that's why with like with Jake McCarthy, I kept asking, is he going to play? Is he going to play? Um, who's blocking Friedel? Who you got in the outfield of of Cincinnati? Senzel, Will Myers. Myers never gets injured, right? Senzel never gets injured, right? Jake Fraley, Nick Solak. Like, who's who's not letting him get playing time? He had 225 at bats. ATC is projecting him to jump up to 400. It could be even more. He had eight homers and stolen and seven stolen bases in a small span. I think uh, I'm not saying you just double that, but I think that like a 15-10 pace is definitely something that he can do. Uh, he had five homers in September, so I like guys who end strong in September. And what really, really speaks to me in all this is he batted leadoff every single day in the last four or five weeks of the season. That's the guy who's going to accumulate a lot of at-bats. That's the guy who's going to get a lot of runs. Uh, and by the way, the ballpark's pretty darn good. So uh, he's going into 25th round, so we're talking a bench player cost. This is a guy that I love in mono leagues. I like. I think he's a very interesting $1 pick at the end as your last outfielder who can really get into playing time. Look at that strikeout rate. 16% strikeout rate last year. I'm projecting him for an 18% strikeout rate. He's not going to be a bust. Uh, I kind of like him. Do you like him, Sarah? I do like him, and I picked him up late in a handful of leagues last year because he was batting leadoff for the Reds a lot, and he, and he looked legit. I mean, I, I got to see him with my own eyes, and the power was the power was there. The speed was there. He was playing every day. Um, I think that you could do worse in those late rounds than looking for the guy who is going to get a shot on a terrible team, right? Like, you're always, you always want to pay attention to the cast of characters that surrounds any given player, and, and the Reds are not a good baseball team, but they play in a great park. And this is a guy who doesn't, like you were saying, he doesn't really have anyone who's going to come and take his playing time unless you truly believe that this is Nick Senzel's year, which I suppose it is possible, but I I am done waiting for Nick Senzel. So I think that TJ Friedel is, honestly, if anything, I'm looking at his uh, BABIBs from the last couple of years. It looks like he might have gotten a little bit unlucky. He put up a 251 BABIB with those numbers that you were talking about last year. He hit 240, a little bit of power. I like it. I think that it's a smart play in the late rounds. And look, worst case scenario, if it doesn't pan out and he's lost his job to Nick Senzel, you drop him and pick up somebody off the waiver wire. What is Nick Senzel's all-time high for at-bats? Oh, God, I do not know off the top of my head, but I'm going to, like, 350. (laughs) Yeah, it can't be over 400. 375, yeah. Well, actually, you're stealing my thunder a little bit for the injury update because Nick Senzel is on there because he spent most of the offseason wearing a walking boot and is unknown whether he'll be ready to start the 2023 season. So doesn't that give more playing time to uh, TJ Friedel? I think it does. Um, He hasn't had a year in the minors where he didn't steal double digits, which was in in the double digits, which is why they they batted him leadoff. And last year, even though, you know, you don't think of this, but he had a higher war, 0.5, than Nick Castellanos, who had a minus 7, minus 0.7. So he does have value there. It's his value very late. He's going pick around like 440-ish around that time. I will take that all the time. I'll take that every day. Yes, his walk rate is not that great, but Ari, you mentioned his 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 K rate is great. So if those two things keep going the way they are, I mean, eight homers, seven or seven stolen bases, thirty three runs in seventy two games. If you extrapolate that, I, I'll take that in the, this late in the rounds. So so number one, I like Friedel a lot better than uh, 
than Senzel this year, first of all. Number two, I love how you point out that he had a better than a negative .7 war. Just to point out, Ariel Cohen had better than a negative .7 war in the majors as well. Uh, this yeah, is a that's, true that's, fact. That's, that's, that's true, but I wanted to bring up because we mentioned Castellanos <laughs> earlier. That's all. <laughs> yeah, point that, of reference. That's all. I, I understand. I understand. But just to point out that fact. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, our last player here that we'll talk about today is uh, Tyrone Taylor. Uh, very, very cheap. 26th round. We're talking about a bench pick. Maybe not even drafted in your league. Plays on the Brewers, but ATC is worth almost $4. 20 homers, five stolen bases, mid 50s runs, 60 RBIs roughly. Uh, I mean, he had 50, almost 50 runs in RBIs last year and only 373 at-bats. Uh, this is not a great batting average, but these counting stats look look very interesting to me. And he's done that kind of uh, thing even the past two years with limited playing time. Are you at all interested in a late Tyrone Taylor pick, maybe a bench pick in a 15-team league? Or this is definitely an interesting mono-league pick. Yeah, I, I am interested in Tyrone Taylor for a couple of reasons. One, I think that the Brewers are going to give him a year to see if he can win this job and if he can own it. I, I don't think that Jackson Churio's ready and I don't think they're going to call him up unless they're like in di- dire need late in September or something like that. And so I think I think Taylor is going to get some run here and, you know, he's going to hit late in the lineup to start. But if he shows that he deserves to move up in the lineup, I think he's going to get that chance. The Brewers are a really interesting team. They have basically done all of their competitive baseball the last couple of years through their pitching they have they have not scored a ton of runs they've really struggled um offensively and so they're looking for guys who can prove that they will provide a little bit of thump to give them the runs that they need to support the pitching that they have and i think taylor's one of one of the guys who's going to get a chance there i think william Contreras is another guy who's going to get a chance there i think they are looking for guys to own some offensive power in that lineup and and i really just don't see anyone coming for his job unless he is abysmal for the first few weeks of the season so i love this as a late pick move it i tend to agree a little bit because he did play a lot of center field last year and right now i think garrett mitchell is, is penciled in to play center field for them he's only played like 23 games in the majors, so you can't really guarantee that garrett mitchell is going to stay there tyron taylor has a little bit more of a track record but his K rate is close to 25%, which is not that great. It looks like he tried to go up the middle more last year, and he tried to be a little less pull-happy than he normally does. With there being no shift, I think that may actually help him a little bit. But um, either way, I, do, I think he'll get a playing time unless, you know, the, the, the Brewers are very good at making trades. I think they're, they're going to pr- probably end up, if their pitching is competitive, I think they're going to end up making a trade for an outfielder, and it's either going to be Taylor or it's going to be Mitchell. Whoever's not performing, they're going to lose playing time. All right, does anybody have any other outfielders that you want to mention that are interesting that you we haven't talked about? Well, I just mentioned I just mentioned Garrett Mitchell. He is actually kind of interesting. In those 20 in those handful in the 28, sorry, it was 28 games. In those 28 games he played, he did bat 311. He had two homers and eight stolen bases. So that's a kind of interesting uh look there, although he did have also a 41% K rate, which isn't that great, but he's a guy that's going kind of late he does have upside he's one of their higher end prospects and he's a guy that if tyrone taylor doesn't do well garrett mitchell will get a longer leash where he's playing also yeah garrett mitchell has the triple uh bad risk uh characteristics his standard deviation projections are a whopping six that is god-awful projections are all over the place i mean we've got some 30 stone base projections we've got some 10 stone base projections it's just who the heck knows who he is 
Skew is very positive, and obviously he's a storm-based guy concentrated in one thing. So he's very, very risky, but, you know, risk might be good at the very end of your draft. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Um, is it worth, Sarah, is it worth getting uh, Taylor and Mitchell and, uh, you know, seeing what works out? And, and just opting for the one that is getting more playing time and looks like they're going to stick at the end. I think that's a totally valid strategy. I've actually deployed that in a couple of draft and holds, uh, usually with the Cleveland outfielders and the prospects that are yeah, coming draft and holds up are behind great. them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, draft and holds are great to do that or, or uh, that, that kind of thing where you just get that platoon and you get something. You know. Yeah, it's like I, I'll take a mile straw and I'll also take George Valera later just in case. Um but, you know, one you were asking about other outfielders to keep an eye on. This is obviously someone who's being drafted who I don't think is like low risk, high risk, anything like that. But something to keep an eye on in terms of jobs and playing time. You know, Ian Happ is in his last year with the Chicago Cubs. Jed Hoyer's front office is very big on we want to get extensions done before the season starts. We don't want to be having those conversations once baseball has been played. Ian Happ's trade value is never going to be higher than before he takes his first at bat in the 2023 season. And I think people will be interested in what he did in that uh, 2022 season. It's by far the best, most consistent year that he has had. I would not be surprised if the Cubs fail to extend him if he winds up on the trading block. And if that's the case, then there are some interesting outfielders to keep an eye on in Chicago. I'm thinking about Christopher Morrell. I'm thinking about Trey Mancini, who everybody thinks is there for a first base platoon with Eric Hosmer, but can also play corner outfielder. So I think that there's some interesting names to keep an eye on there, and I'd watch that Ian Happ trade situation. Oh, I love that Ian Happ. Uh, it's a great, great uh, choice there. Um, this is a guy who's so spread out in the categories. We're talking almost double-digit steals. We're talking 20-plus homers. Um, he did have... Uh, a pace of 32 homers back in the 2020 season. We're talking 70-plus runs, 70-plus RBIs, and a batting average, which won't harm you. This is definitely – I love these well-spread-out guys. And he's going for a $3 bargain or so. I mean, it's just, just ridiculous. 11th round, Ian Happ. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of shares of him last year, and I was not disappointed. Uh, he hasn't been below the $10 mark in a couple of years in terms of earned value, and he's going just under $10 right now. So uh, I, I love Ian Happ. It's a great, great pick. He, he just nearly missed the list uh, that I put together today, actually. Now, are, are there any teams, Ariel, you think that we should stay away from when it comes to drafting outfielders? Like, are you going to be touching any of the Nationals? Are you going to be touching any of the Tigers or anything like that? Or are you, are you just, you know, you're just going to go by the values? Yeah, I, I sort of agree with 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 those. Um, uh, giants also bother me with all the platoons. They just don't accumulate enough at bats, and it's just a pain. You got to gotta sh you got to shuffle in and in and out of your lineup. I I generally don't want to get that. I mean, if the price is ridiculously cheap, sure, I'll take anybody. But those are bad situations. I want more regular situations. I try to stay away from Rays. But yeah, the Tigers and and uh, Nationals are good examples of. Uh, things I want to stay away from. I mean, Pirates as well, although maybe Reynolds is the one case where, okay, maybe he'll, he'll end up in a different scenario soon. What about you, Sarah? I was going to say, the I, I agree with every team that Ariel just said, and I kind of want to add the Marlins to that because the Marlins have also been doing a ton of platoon stuff, and they, I can't tell, I, they just seem very unsettled. They have way too many second basemen at the moment. They're going to move Jazz Chisholm to center field. Like I, I would love to see what would happen if Jorge Soler could put it all together uh, for a full season again, or like if Jesus Sanchez could actually not be in a platoon and maybe get some run, but they seem to be, they seem to love themselves some platoons too. I don't know what's going on in Florida, but the Marlins are a team that I've sort of stayed away from. 
Yeah, bad park as well. Um, yeah, they're moving Chisholm to center field. It's they don't have, they don't have an outfield. I mean, it's just uh, and and they traded for uh, Arias. They and 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 they got uh, Segura. So all the second basemen, Ariel. All the second basemen. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> And they traded away their shortstop, Rojas. Like, <laughs> it's bananas. I, I don't know. Uh, but, hey, that's the story. All right, Ruvain, any outfield injury updates? I know you have at least one, so go ahead. Yeah, I mentioned Nick Senzel before. Michael Brantley um, said last week, actually, that he's hopeful to be ready for opening day. He did have surgery to repair a labrum in his right shoulder last August. He had a, he had a minor setback, but it looks like he should be ready, hopefully, for opening day. And Starling Marte is not on the Dominican team in the World Baseball Classic. He's staying out. He's still a little bit limited. The Mets want him to be extra cautious also um, after his after his core surgery that he had this past November. So that's just something to monitor. He may, be, can't, he may bring him along slowly, and he's a guy that if you see that he's not getting a lot of at-bats in spring training, his ADP may go down, and you may be able to get a bargain on him. Another guy, Dylan Moore. He just received a, a contract extension. He should be ready for opening day. He had, also had a small setback this offseason after having core muscle surgery, but he expects to be ready for opening day. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, the show. Uh, this is a great show, Sarah. I mean, there's so many outfielders. We can spend uh, spend seven episodes on outfielders, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think we, we did a nice job of zeroing in some interesting ones down medium and below. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, I really love it when you come on. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking to you both as well. All right, so what do you got going on, Sarah, uh, aside from uh, aside from this Ot new league that you're uh, playing in? Yeah, I've got a couple of things going on. I mean, obviously, still writing at Bleed Cubby Blue, lots of Cubs content coming up. But um, if you are following me on Twitter, at BCB underscore Sarah, no H on the Sarah, you might have seen that uh, our podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue, was one of the podcasts that got axed in SB Nation's cleaning house of their podcast. And one of the things that I'm really excited about for next season, I can't go into too many details at the moment, but it appears that uh, a slew of us who had those podcasts over at SB Nation are putting together um, our own independent platform, and we're real. We have some really exciting content planned there for Cubs fans, and it seems like I might be able to get a fantasy baseball show going on on that new platform. So stay tuned, follow me, and you'll be the first to know when all of that goes live. I am super excited that it's coming together. All right, awesome. Uh, that sounds fun, and yes, definitely do do follow Sarah. Uh, excellent. Uh, and you're you're going to be in uh, which Tout ta- Wars again this year? Are you doing the uh, the new uh, modified rules twelve team one? Yeah, I am in the modified twelve team uh, again. I was in that last year. It was my first year in the league, and I was really thrilled to finish second uh, in that league last year. I'll also be doing um, the Glarf draft in person coming up in early March and of course playing in TGFBI and some of the other uh, leagues that all of our friends put together. So lots of fantasy baseball stuff going on, lots of content creation going on. And and I am stoked to get these drafts underway, to get the Tout Wars draft underway, to get the Glarf draft underway. It is baseball season. Pitchers and catchers report in like 10 days a week, something like that. So I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, I, I am so excited as well. Um, all right, Ruvain, uh, what about you? Uh, what's going on with you? 
You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out the injury updates as they come in. The pitchers and catchers, like you said, Sarah, they're going to be coming in the next 10 to 14 days. So you're going to hear a lot about those injury updates, especially for the pitchers and catchers. The hitters you'll hear next couple of weeks also beyond that. Um, what I'd say also is listen to the what's going on in the World Baseball Classic, which is going to be coming up soon. That you can see how people are faring, how who's being held in, who's being who's who they're letting play. Like it just, they just mentioned that Acuna is actually going to be playing this year, and they thought they, he wasn't, so he seems healthy. So you can learn a lot from who's going to be playing that. Also, you can follow me during in season. I have an article on Rotoball discussing all the injuries for that week to help you with your fab. Definitely check that out each and every week. Uh, and I'm Ariel Cohen. I write for Fangraphs for Rotoballer. Uh, and you can find the ATC projections on those sites and Sportsline. And announcement, you will be able to find ATC projections on PitcherList. That's right. We're teaming up with PitcherList. They've got some really great stuff on there, PLV. Uh, and I think they're going to have a draft product. Uh, you can draft uh, and uh, uh, like a live draft where you can track your draft and make decisions and the ATC projections will be one of the choices to come up with uh, on there. So check out Pitcher List. Uh, go to the Pitcher List website. There you go. So that's the announcement for that. Very, very excited to work with Nick Pollock and gang. Um, yeah. All right. And, of course, uh, follow me on Twitter at ATCNY and the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. You're listening to it, so you know where to find it. All right, well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much once again to Sarah Sanchez for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.